If curiosity killed the cat, Boomer's nine lives expired decades ago. Boomer is an entrepreneur, husband, podcast host, health optimization practitioner, investor, and retired barbecue champion. Boomer is the CEO of Smarter Not Harder Inc., parent company of Proscriptions. He is also the CEO of Health Optimization Practice Europe, a nonprofit. In his own health optimization practice, Boomer works with entrepreneurs leveraging large swaths of data and health technology. Prior to working on projects that matter, Boomer was based in Singapore, where he ran the South Asia debt capital market business for a bulge bracket investment bank. He has been featured on Ted Hotels. School of the Hague, super fast business, the third wave. So, hi, Boomer. Um, I got to know about you because of uh, your company, Proscriptions. And I tried to look for methylene blue all across Dubai, and it was a really difficult thing. Can you tell me a little bit about the company and then also why methylene blue for biohacking? Sure. Um, so thank you for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to interact with uh, you, Naya, and I love what you're doing. And so uh, Proscriptions was uh, started over three years ago, and simultaneously started with a nonprofit called Health Optimization Medicine and Practice. The two companies are not um, intertwined. They have uh, separate books, you know, everything, right? But we launched it simultaneously with a nonprofit because the nonprofit Health Optimization Medicine and Practice is uh, on a mission to help uh, doctors and practitioners learn how to optimize for health rather than treat disease. Uh, there's an education platform. There's seven modules in the basic uh, home hope practitioner certification, including things like epigenetics, bioenergetics, uh, evolutionary medicine, gut immune system, chronobiology, uh, metabolomics, and uh, you know just really really good courses. And we have some advanced modules as well. And uh, part of that education. And I, this all goes into transcription, so don't worry, I'm not taking along a story here without coming to a conclusion. Uh, part of that education involves really bringing people and teaching people how to nutrient balance as well as hormone balance. And so if you've ever done this yourself, you know, or if you're a practitioner, you know that nutrient and hormone balancing uh, can take three, six months if the person is diligent right? And most people don't hit it 100% of the time. And so um, if the person is diligent, they hit three to six months. But if your client is coming to you and saying, what do I need today to fix my focus, to fix my anxiety, to fix my stress, to fix my sleep? If you don't have an answer for them, like it would be unrealistic to think that they would stay with you. And so transcriptions was started to actually fill that gap. And what we did was, is that, you know, the first formulation was something called blue canatine, which has methylene blue, uh, cannabidiol or CBD, uh, nicotine and caffeine. Uh, the second one has just blue, which is, uh, that's just blue. And that has methylene blue only. And then the third one has a combination of uh, novel cannabinoids, CBD and CBG, uh, and nicotinyl GABA, as well as kava. 
Now, our formulations are all designed to tackle specific areas. And so Blue Chem Team was the first one that we released. And it was really just Ted saying, I need to fix something. I need something to fix my jet lag because I'm flying from, he was flying from Philippines to the US and US to the Philippines and needed to perform right away. And so, um, you know, there's numerous benefits to Blue Chem Team, things like verbal fluency, focus, easy access to flow states, et cetera. Um, but the ingredient that you mentioned, methylene blue, at that time was not really being used commercially um, in the nutritional supplement industry. Uh, part of the reason for that is because uh, a lot of people just have a misunderstanding that people don't know. And so we took a look at methylene blue. And if you look at methylene blue, it's a very, very long history. Um, it used to be used as a dye uh, in anything from blue jeans to you know, medical dyes as well. Uh, and then it was the first compound actually approved by the FDA for the treatment of malaria. And so this was in the 1890s, but then it also was used for that medical dye in order to really track whether or not a patient was taking their medication, but it has some interesting properties. So going back to the reason why we created it for something like focus, flow states, uh, jet lag, um, methylene blue increases um, both spatial and non-spatial memory in low doses. So we're talking lower than three milligrams per kilogram here, um, which our supplements have between five and 16 milligrams per trophy. And so, um, you know, methylene blue also increases ATP. So adenosine triphosphate, our body's health currents or energy currency. Uh, it helps promote that in at least eight different ways. Um, and it's an antiviral, it's an antifungal. And so it has all of these amazing properties and nobody was really using it. So we decided to use it. Um, and then we started really um, exploring what we, what I say internally is sort of novel formulations and novel delivery mechanisms. And so the buckle trochee is a lozenge, which you put in your upper lip, you let it dissolve. And then in about 15 minutes, you have an effect. It's much more efficient than taking a capsule. A capsule has to bypass through your gut immune system. And if you don't have an efficient gut immune system, you can lose uh, quite a significant amount of the ingredient. And it also, um, yeah, so it passes first pass metabolism. And it's a very, very exciting delivery mechanism, but that's a long winded answer to your question. So <laughs> Naya, uh, thank you for asking it. Uh, you also said that you have blue canatine. Uh, what is that for someone who doesn't understand any of your uh, products? Yeah, sure. So blue canatine was the first formulation. Again, it was designed for jet lag. It's designed for focus flow states. It has uh, five milligrams of methylene blue, which we just discussed. It has mm. one milligram of nicotine, uh, which I'll come back to because that's a controversial one. Uh, it has 50 milligrams of caffeine, so less caffeine than a double espresso. A double espresso has 80 milligrams. A grande black coffee at Starbucks has about 220 milligrams. And then um, it has something we call hemp crystals beautifully derived, or CBD. Mm. Um, and so CBD actually has a rounding effect on it. So if you've ever taken nicotine um, straight, it can be quite a, um, a jarring effect in the sense that um, it's... It's very much a rush. Now, nicotine is very famous because people are all aware that cigarettes um, have nicotine in them. And that's in some ways what makes it very addictive. Um, but the toxicity in cigarettes is largely attributed to other things than nicotine. And so 
Nicotine has a, a, an addiction threshold at about five milligrams. Again, we give you one per trochee and we cap you at four trochees a day at max. And there's very few people that actually use that many trochees in a day. Uh, and it has the, these amazing benefits. In fact, it's my favorite nootropic and nootropic is, um, we can get into this, but it's like a cognitive enhancer. Um, and it has these benefits around verbal fluency. So public speaking, I'm usually taking nicotine right before it. Uh, it has benefits to production of various neurotransmitters. It actually functions a little bit like acetylcholine. Uh, and it's just a beautiful way to get into flow states. So um, I would encourage people to check it out, but do you know that a cigarette comes with like 18 milligrams plus of nicotine, right? Um, what we're giving you is one. Um, there are addiction risks to it, but as long as you follow our recommendations, you should be okay. So it looks like a cornucopia of like a lot of benefits. What are the side effects? Like, what can I be wary of? Like, if I keep taking it every day, will that have an effect on me? So uh, with blue canatine or just with our products in general? With your products in general, because there are a lot of, it's, a, they seem to be biohacking and like tweaked to such a degree that you can use them to optimize so much. Yeah. But then there's only a limit to how much you can optimize the human system or is there no limit? Well, I, I, you make a very good point, right? And so let's explore that point a little bit more if it's okay with you now. Um, and I'll come to your original question, which is what's the downside? So remember, so let's classify a nootropic as um, any agent influence or lifestyle that really helps improve the health or the performance of a brain, right? Uh, and so blue canatine and just blue are classically uh, called nootropics, right? Um, but nootropics really work by helping your cells. And I focus on the cell because it's really the um, smallest unit that we can measure the health of at this moment, right? Um, in fact, uh, you know, we also in the nonprofit teach people how to measure yourself as a collection of organisms because you are, right? You're you have cells, um, which are really just a, an amalgamation of ancient bacteria and your mitochondria coming together, right? That's a symbiotic relationship. You have, um, you have fungi, you actually do have fungi all over your body. And when the stuff becomes overgrowth, uh, it's very familiar to people as candida. You have bacteria, our gut has billions, if not trillions of them. And really uh, that collection of organisms is uh, contributing to the endosymbiotic theory of evolution, um, but also the, uh, this thing called the holobiont. And so what we're doing in balancing you under the surface is actually optimizing the health of the organisms that make you up because you are a collection of organisms. Now, in order to do that, there's some basic things that people can, can follow because if you don't, then the nootropic question comes into play. Like how far will these actually let you go? Because if you're not healthy, they'll only let you go to as healthy as the cell is. And so if the cell is at 60%, you're only going to go to 60%, maybe a little bit more. And if you do it too often, there is a risk that you kind of short circuit something, but what does it require to kind of get to a state where you're going to get the most of these substances and what does the most look like? And then what are the downsides of it? And so, you know, eating well, sleeping well, this is all like Ted says this quite well, eating well, sleeping well, hydrating well, stressing well, um, breathing well, grounding well, 
loving well, relating well, and eating, I think I've probably already said eating well, moving well, uh, are all key factors and just making sure that we, uh, we are at our best. And so, you know, you have then a, an environment by which your cells can be optimized. And so let's say you do all of that and you're just in tip top shape and like really good example of health. Uh, then nootropics can be useful because you're basically, instead of layering something on a house of cards, you're laying something on something that has a good foundation. So you can go from 100 to 120 and safely come back. So let's talk about the downsides. Um, in particular with methylene blue. So methylene blue is an MAOI. Um, that means that it does interact um, in a not so nice way with SSRIs, so anti, some antidepressants um, that can result in something called serotonin syndrome. There are certain people with a genetic deficiency, the GCPD, G6PD deficiency, I believe, uh, which can result in bad things if uh, you have meth too much methylene blue. Um, and of course, if you have greater than uh, five milligrams per kilogram of methylene blue, you can end up in a state where you actually turn methylene blue from an antioxidant to a pro-oxidant state, meaning it produces oxidative stress. High-dose methylene blue is used to actually get people out of something called septic shock, uh, which is something in the hospitals, and it's also used to treat uh, methaglomemia, which is a word that I always struggle to pronounce. Uh, so there are some downsides on the higher dose side of things, but also you kind of need to know yourself pretty well before investigating this. Uh, that's methylene blue. Nicotine, if you take too much, it is addictive. That's just a fact. Um, some of the other products, uh, less downsides per se, there's certain um, cautionary tales that we want to do with like anxiety medications and trocom. But I, I think overall, you know, there's a fairly safe way to play these. Uh, you spoke about like having a strong foundation before using neurotropics or any sort of like substances that are used to tweak your health. Uh, you started in the space of wellness like at 30 when you were diagnosed with a health condition, like a heart condition. And before that, mm -hmm. you thought you were super healthy, like you were working out, you were taking care of your health and then things turned around. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So from a young age, I was actually obsessed with health. And this always go, goes back to really when I was in high school. Um, I was, or even before, right? My mother was a yoga teacher, my, or still is. And my dad was, um, he worked in finance, but in the side of finance that nobody wants to work in. And so I had this very interesting dichotomy at home where I had the, the discipline and the meticulousness of the, the finance accounting side of things. And then I had my mother um, who uh, taught me very early on the benefits of breathing and um, these kind of things, which at that time, you know, we're talking late 80s, early 90s when I was growing up, um, more so early 90s and 2000s when this became more relevant to me you know, at the time that was seen as very woo, like meditation was not as widely talked about as it is today, but I would come home and see my mom staring at a wall and reading books by the Dalai Lama. And it was just always very intriguing to me. And so I would be able to, you know, go into that calculus exam and 
be nervous as hell because I was the son of a stressed out finance guy <laughs> and uh, do like three uh, pranayama breaths and be able to relax my nervous system. And I carried that through uh, with me through um, my career, really. And so I could always associate quote unquote health with a return on my investment, which in banking was a bonus. And so even in banking, after my first year, I kind of rediscovered health again, or what I thought was health. And I was exercising all the time. I was following God knows what diet du jour, right? Like there's thousands of diets out there and I was following every one of them, um, sometimes at the same time. And, you know, I thought I was healthy because to me, health at that time was how much work can I do? And in many ways, Econ 101 has completely screwed up my perception of the world because I was always focused on output. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, how much work could I do? how much uh, weight can I lift? And then do I look good naked? And those were really like the three things that I was focused on. And I was doing that pretty well. Um, luckily, I, I met a person who's now my wife and she kind of convinced me to move to Europe with her. And on the way out, I found out I had a heart condition. Um, and then I also, so I found a heart, I found out I had effectively cardiovascular disease at the age of 30. And, um, that kind of throws you through a loop, right? Because cardiovascular disease is still the leading preventable cause of death all around the, the world. And if somebody tells you this at the age of 30, I'm like, oh crap, I was doing everything right and I got this. But there are some things that I wasn't doing right. You know, um, from the age of 18 to 30, I slept between four and six hours a night. I was traveling all around the world. I was living, um, from, from 25 to 30. So basically uh, early banking days, New York City, moved over to Singapore, 25 to 30, and ended up in this really cool job where I went to 40 countries in four years. And uh, I was spending time in places like Bangladesh, in places like Shanghai. I was in, you know, I was in Myanmar. I was all over the world, even Western Europe too which is sort of a dream job, but it didn't feel like it, but I was stressed out. And it was rare that I would spend more than five consecutive days or even three consecutive days in the same country or same time zone. So you can imagine what that does to your circadian rhythms. And so I was stressed, I didn't sleep very much, and I didn't know what a circadian rhythm was for most of my 20s. And it turns out that those are all three very important things that go into health. And it's something that we cover in amazing detail in the chronobiology module in uh, the Health Optimization Medicine Practice Association. Oh, you spoke about stress and jet lag and your circadian rhythm. Now, this is something that's part and parcel of almost everyone's lives now. Like if you're yeah. working, you're probably going to be a little stressed. Your sleep is going to be messed up because you're working. Now we work in a global atmosphere where we have calls from the, across the country, so across the world. And people I mean, think about it right now. I'm in California. You're in Dubai, right? It's, it's, yeah. And so it, it can get difficult. Like not everyone's going to accommodate um, around your schedule like you did, which is really uh, nice of you. So it, how does one like, you know, optimize their health while being able to balance work and stress of it and then also sleep because sleep makes a huge difference in your health. You can yeah. have everything in place, but if you don't have the right amount of sleep for your body, things can just go haywire really quickly. 
yeah i i think it's um it, it's incredibly important so i think first uh, recognizing priorities is probably where i would i would start and this may take somebody for a loop it may take a little bit of drilling down it may take years to actually drill this into your head but to me the most important thing is my health my health my energy right and so um, my health if it is not optimized i am not going to produce what i can in the world i'm not going to be a good husband i'm not going to be a good son i'm not a father at this moment <laughs> i'm not going to be a good business person I'm not going to be a good uh, whatever, right? And so if I take that as core principle, then everything else actually becomes easy mm -hmm. because you kind of operate through that lens, knowing full well that I am going to produce everything else so much better if I'm healthier. But let's say you're listening to this and you're one of the millions of Americans or millions of people worldwide who sleeps less than seven hours of sleep a night. And you're tired of people bitching at you and saying like, hey, this is how you should live your life. Perhaps there's probably some ways to get started that are easier because um, I've been there, right? Like somebody telling you to sleep eight hours when you're sleeping four is not really helpful. Uh, somebody telling you to eat uh, a ketogenic diet when you can barely afford or go through or you eat McDonald's every night is not really helpful, right? And so let's start with just kind of like some basic principles and that will hopefully help guide this, this discussion, but also other people listening to this. Because, you know, first, let's take an evolutionary lens here because evolutionary medicine is, again, one of those modules, but I think an evolutionary lens also often lies perspective. So let's recognize that the stresses that we face today are very, very different from what our ancestors faced. Uh, they're more ubiquitous, right? If we think about the, um, the stresses that our ancestors faced, it was very much, so if you go way back, it's running from the lion in the savannah, right? That's the classic analogy but then you're resting a lot. You're doing a lot of fasting. You're doing uh, various different things to, which are sort of on and off. And the on switch is not constantly on, which our nervous system is constantly on now. And so if we have that different mismatch, we often have environmental mismatches. Now you mentioned that you uh, grew up in India. I grew up in well, I was born in Chicago, but like my ancestral heritage is a amalgamation of Eastern European countries. And so I have to acknowledge that my ancestral heritage is very different than growing up in America. And so if we can view it through an evolutionary lens, again, this is where things start to be a little bit more simplified. So let's say you're a very busy business person. What kind of things can you do? Uh, can you eat real food? Yeah, absolutely. By real food, I mean, if you can stick to meat, fish, greens, fruit, um, that and water, coffee, that's a pretty damn good, uh, some good fats, to nuts, those are, that's a pretty damn good diet right there. Um, if you have to be more rational about it or to be um, 
accommodating to a modern lifestyle, if you actually schedule your quote unquote cheat meals during the week, you'll be amazed at how much that reward mechanism allows you to drive your diet the rest of the week. And that will help you really, really focus on driving your nutrition. Um, you can also do, you know, I know some people who are just getting started who schedule a cheat snack every single day, but it keeps them driven on this. Uh, scheduling games in order to make yourself move. So making sure you get your seven, 10,000 steps in every day, doing a hundred pushups in the morning, not consecutively, but over the course of several sets ensures you that you can get these things in stress. Yeah. Meditation is super, like, I think it's probably the number one thing I've ever learned, but it's hard to get started. So giving yourself permission to, um, meditate for one to two minutes before really, um, diving into full 20 minute or longer meditations is certainly good sleep um wherever you are improve it by 10 percent, and just set that goal because success is addictive and so i mean if anything i spend a lot of time coaching very very successful entrepreneurs who start at that same place that i was um, at six years ago and they don't want to hear that they need to sleep eight hours they want to hear that if they're sleeping four, that they need to sleep for four hours and 40 minutes. That's doable. And then they start feeling better. And that's when really um, your calculus takes over and DD over DT starts to slope up, right? So I think that's a, a great way to start tackling it. I'm just, sorry, I'm going to stop recording. So one thing about your modules that you were speaking about was nutrients and hormone balance. So sure. that just sounds sound like French to me. I have no idea what that means. So what is that? And like for anyone who's listening, what does that exactly entail? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of, when it comes to lab testing and also um, how people by chance look at attacking their own labs, there's often mistakes made around those labs and how they interpret them. Um, what I mean by that is somebody who goes out and gets, let's say, a metabolomics test. And a metabolomics test is just testing the health of your cell as it is right now. And they see their metabolites and it tells them that you need more vitamin A or vitamin D. Um, they go out and they just buy the vitamin A and the vitamin D without taking into um, context, context, really that these nutrients all interact in a network. There's various biological pathways that if you influence that biological pathway in such a way, you may do yourself a favor in making sure that you're no longer deficient in vitamin A. But in the case of vitamin A, vitamin A is networked with D and K, right? And so when we talk about nutrient balancing, what we're actually talking about is balancing those networks because networks aren't overhauled. And that's what people are generally doing, right? They're going in and with all good intentions, they're trying to optimize their testosterone levels. So they're going and getting a doctor to prescribe them testosterone, but they're not balancing the other end of those hormones. So in that case, melatonin or growth hormone and cortisol. And so the idea behind nutrient and hormone balancing is I don't really want to 
overhaul your network. I don't want to necessarily say, hey, take B12, but I'm just going to give you so much B12 that your B6 and B2 are going to get knocked out, right? I want to make sure you get all of it. And so I want to balance you and then I want to lift you up. Hmm. And so when I lift you up, what I'm doing is I'm taking your, your levels to an optimal level that is for someone who is between the ages of 21 to 30. And so when you do that, that's really what balance is all about. And so we, we focus on the network, we take you to a balance, and then we take you to optimal levels for somebody who is 21 to 30 years of age, regardless of your age. Do all doctors actually do these tests are like educated enough to help? Uh, like if I would go to any doctor and try to say, okay, now, now do these tests for me. Uh, first of all, are they available for everyone? And uh, is the medical industry or science uh, universities actually teaching doctors these things? Because I feel from my understanding, nutrition is just one part of the course and it's not something that's focused on. And yeah. it kind of affects in a domino way, everything else, but somehow there's no importance in, towards it. Yeah, I, well, look, I think you hit the nail on the head, Naya, is that, you know, doctors and look, I'm not a doctor. I really appreciate people who went through medical school and did all that time. And um, there are some great things that this quote unquote Western system is good for. Um, if you are shot, God forbid, or stabbed or whatever, going to a functional medicine or home home practitioner is probably not the best idea, right? Like you need surgery. If you have some sort of um, unfortunate event like a heart attack, you go to the hospital. And we've done a remarkable job of making sure that heart attacks aren't as fatal as they used to be. Um, and so for, you know, to answer your original question, are traditional doctors trained in this? Not necessarily. They have a lot to learn. They have a lot of diagnosis to learn. They have a lot of anatomy, all this stuff to learn. And so they're not necessarily trained in this, which is why we started a nonprofit. And so we set out with the aim of teaching both doctors and practitioners. So anything from a nutritionist to a registered dietitian to whatever, uh, how to do this in a way that is systematic, that involves a lot of data. And you can track your, your patient, your client the whole way through. So I, my clients, I work with them every six months, I get tested and I make sure that their levels are optimized or we work towards that. You spoke, uh, you spoke about right. patients. So what kind of patients do you work uh, with? Um, it's just like, it would be a person like me who knows that your expertise are there and then like, okay, I am in this state of health or I believe I am. And yeah. you would come in and go through my, my what's it called, tests and then do sure. suggestions. How would that work? So I work predominantly with entrepreneurs now. Um, that's because I am one. And so I know the lifestyle quite well. Uh, I also work with people that are more buy side in finance. Uh, that's because I used to work on the sell side and sell side people won't listen to anything that you say. <laughs> um, but I work with entrepreneurs because they have a genuine um, care about bettering themselves so that they can go out and better the world. And so if somebody were to work with me, the first thing that happens is that uh, they, I'll send them their lab tests anywhere in the world. Um, I will then collect a rigorous amount of also qualitative data. So I wanna know everything that's going on in their lives and for the past five years, even longer, that can contribute to who the person that they are today. So any sort of childhood traumas, any sort of um, issues growing up with broken bones or heavy metal potentials, I want to know about that. 
And so once I have all that information, I have the test results, I usually have a report of findings. And so I go and say, here's exactly um, where your cells are right now. Here's what your cells are telling us. Here are some things that I recommend, both from a nutrient and lifestyle perspective. And for some of those clients, they come back to me in six months and they go and do it th themselves. That's okay. For others, I work with in more of a one-to-one um, -one type fashion because uh, they realize the value of having somebody there to hold them accountable, but also somebody who has gone through the maze before. And if something's not working, can find a quick solution. So in the case of most of my guys um, and girls to a certain extent, mm -hmm. they have um, very, very busy lives. And so they may be flying to another country. They may be flying to, uh, you know, they may be staying up because, um, you know, they're managing some rapper on his tour and, you know, maybe, maybe staying up late at night and getting four hours of sleep. So in that calculus, like, what do they do in those situations? And so there, I'm there as sort of a situational awareness person and really um, providing the solutions for those situations when they arise. Um, because really the magic of it all is in the behavior change, right? And so um, I can give you all the supplements in the world, but if you go to, I don't know, Wendy's every night or something, uh, it's not going to make that, it'll make a difference. It'll help, but it won't move the needle so much. You spoke about uh, supplements. Now there are a lot of people just go to the pharmacy and like, I need this, 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 and I'll just buy them all. Yeah. And sometimes they are counterintuitive to what you need. Like uh, I've heard that omega three and six oils, sometimes they just rancid and you, you're just yeah. having, you're actually adding more load to your system. What else is out there that people should probably be careful about before just taking it off the counter yeah so the headline on the supplement industry is that you shouldn't trust uh, anyone and caveat mTOR and I'm a person who works in the supplement industry um, I it used to be incredibly bad in fact there were numerous studies of people going into GNC and testing the supplements and finding that like 70% of them were not what they displayed on the bottle so let's acknowledge something here. The regulations around the supplement industry are incredibly loose um, in terms of being able to provide validation, et cetera. And so you need to go with companies that are um, have high reputations and ideally display lab tests on their website from a third party. We do. Um, and so when you look at supplements specifically, like you mentioned, omega-6, omega-3s, yeah, um, there's a website, I think it's called like ISO certification. Um, I forget exactly what it is, I can send it to you afterwards, but there's a, an omega-3 website where they validate third party what omega-3s are, are legit and not, and they list the legit ones. And so, and that's a good way to do it. Um, you can also do a lot of diligence around lab testing and making sure that they are using a third-party lab that is actually a third-party lab. And you know, then there's sort of best-of-breed brands, Designs for Health, Thorn. Um, there's a few others out there. So Pure Encapsulations, Douglas Labs, numerous others that you can use in order to really get yourself into a good spot. Because the last thing you want to do is to buy something that's rancid, like an omega-6 that's wrong, uh, first uh, omega-3 that's wrong, 
And then uh, the last thing you want to do even further is to buy stuff with like heavy metals in it, which goes back to your point about methylene blue and making sure you have pharmaceutical grade stuff. Um, and then making sure that you are not doing more harm to your system than good. So I think there's a lot that needs to be diligence in the supplement industry, but overall, um, I love that people are trying to take care of their health. And so I just think you need to go with the good actors and not the bad. You mentioned that you don't have kids yet, but when you do have a child, like the early years, early stages, when they're crying all night, their sleep cycles are messed up and that yeah. kind of affects the parents. How would someone tackle that? Because that's not something they were like, you know what? I need my eight hours that baby can cry all at once. How would that work in your sphere? <laughs> don't have kids. Um, <laughs> um, but let's let's say, because this is a fairly relevant conversation for me at this moment, um, in terms of the kid conversation, look, or broken nights of sleep, because broken nights of sleep happen to everybody. If you're a, a male or a female not breastfeeding, blue canatine does work very, very good in these situations. Shameless plug there. But let's say you're not. Um, I have a friend who actually created a, a supplement called Switch On. Uh, it's resilient nutrition and they're in the UK, but he put in everything that I would want for um, brain health optimization under a stress condi condition like sleep deprivation. So cacao, creatine monohydrate, which appears to be somewhat um, affected or significantly affected when you have sleep deprivation. Um, those are types of things that I would use. Caffeine strategically, but not too much to ruin your next night's sleep. Uh, so cutting it off by 2 p.m. at probably the latest for most people. And then, um, so caffeine, creatine, cacao, then looking at uh, various things like uh, exercise, movement, getting fresh air, and instituting a nap. There's no shame in naps. So trying to get a nap in the afternoon, especially in this sort of quasi work from home world we live in, uh, booking yourself a 30 minute meeting and going and taking a nap, 10, 20 minutes. Uh, sometimes, especially with naps, even just laying down, even if you don't get, a, get to sleep, you probably get 80% of the benefits um, and you return refreshed. And so those can become very useful for people. Um, you're, when you speak about like taking naps between the day, like how does that uh, change the way our body responds? Like, cause I have a stressful day. I'm, it's going to take me a while to like decompress and like de-stress, uh, especially if you have anxiety, like a lot of people have anxiety and then you have trouble going to sleep. So if you, even if you are laying in bed, you've done your whole, like, you know, switch off the lights, don't have any electronics next to you, just calm yourself but you can't sleep, you're tossing and turning in your bed. What would you do then? So in the case of tossing and turning in the bed, and so for me, my sleep issues, usually I wake up in the middle of the night, but I know plenty of people that have the sleep issue of um, not being able to go to bed right away. And so you're tossing and turning. So first things first, I always start people on a journal. And so if your thoughts are keeping you awake, they need to go somewhere and not in your head. And so spend five minutes before you go to bed, just writing down everything in your head. Um, when I used to do this, it's, it looked like an insanity journal in the sense that like I was writing down everything from any thought that comes in your head. So I need to do this. I need to do that. This person is annoying, blah, 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 blah. Uh, get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper. Then you can do something called four, seven, eight breathing. So inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight. 
and that will um, help kind of defrag your nervous system, so to speak. And doing that through a series usually helps people go to sleep. Writing down three things you're grateful for um, is certainly useful. Uh, and then the last thing actually starts in the morning, um, but also throughout the day is to make sure that you get some sun in the morning. If you don't have the ability to get sun because you live in Amsterdam, like I do, uh, typically, uh, you can get something called a spurty or any sort of daylight mimicking mechanism that allows you to see sun um, for at least 10 minutes a day first thing in the morning. That'll help sync your circadian rhythms, your cortisol levels, hopefully help you sleep in the evening, but you can also watch it the sunset that's kind of evolutionary programmed into us. And it allows you to really um, start the melatonin production in the evening. So I think there's um, a lot that you can do with sun, with journaling, with breathing. I have the opposite problem. So I can fall asleep really quickly. I can go to sleep at like 7 p.m. I'm good. But then yeah. I will wake up at like four in the morning. Even if I go to sleep at one, I will get up at four. And then I need yeah. to get up. I need to keep moving. Like, I get up and then I have the energy like that sport that I get up and then I move. But then my sleep, I have not had an alarm clock since like four or five years. I've never needed an alarm. I just get up, crack of dawn and I'm up. Good. But the issue that I have is that if I sleep late, I don't get enough sleep. And then I'm up because I'm just up in the morning. So yep. how would you like, because it feels like it's a different kind of problem, but still a problem. Yeah. So this is, um, I have a similar issue now in the sense that I'm a morning, commonly referred to as a morning lark or in the case of um, uh, Michael Bruce's book, uh, I'm either a dolphin or a lion, uh, depending on the day that I take the test, meaning that I tend to be better when I'm up very, very early in the morning, which then you start to look at how do you orchestrate your life around that type of chronotype, right? Um, Luckily, most of the world operates on a morning chronotype basis. So you can do the 9 p.m. or even 8 p.m. bedtime with the 4 or 5 p.m. wake time, um, 5 a.m. Sorry, not p.m. <laughs> That's a little different. And so that, that certainly happens. Um, and for me, that's usually the case. There are some molecules that can be helpful in these types of situations. One in particular, cannabinol, is the uh, CBN. It's a cannabinoid. Um, and you may be able to get it in most places in the world. I'm not sure about where you are, uh, Naya, but that's been shown to help with sleep extension. And so doing a lot of research around sleep extension, cannabinol can be very useful. Um, some of the other cannabinoids can certainly be useful in producing bliss. But if it's stress that wakes you up at 3, 4 in the morning, um, you know, from a traditional Chinese medicine perspective, three, three in the morning is the liver. So maybe it's alcohol for certain people, but, um, let's say it's just stress that wakes you up. I would go uh, meditation certainly helps people to stay asleep. So dedicating significant amounts of time to meditation, uh, over the course of the day can be very, very useful. And again, um, placing that gratitude journal or that journal near your bed. So if you're waking up in the middle of the night, having a place to just jot it down so that your thoughts are outside of your head will hopefully allow you to get back to sleep. You also spoke about grounding. Now, a lot of people have, it's just coming to the surface now. A lot of people are talking about it, but it's most people don't have the uh, scientific knowledge of what that actually means. What yeah. is grounding and how can someone, like, how does that help your overall health? 
Sure. Um, so grounding helps, you know, benefit negative ions, helps with antioxidants, stress, all that stuff, right? Um, but let's start with from an evolutionary perspective why it's necessary. You know, shoes are a relatively modern thing, and asphalt is certainly a relatively modern thing. And so for a while, we were walking around um, with our bare feet or some fabric or not even fabric, but like something in between the feet and the ground. We were always connected to the ground, right? And so the earth spins out tons and tons of negative ions, which are incredibly beneficial for your body um, from a stress neutralization perspective. And so that can be very, very useful um, in terms of getting the habit of walking around on the ground. And it's something that I try to remember to do every day, although I'm honestly not as diligent about it as I probably should be. So that would be on the surface of the earth, not like on like on the floor. Yeah, yeah. When, when I say grounding, so there's a couple of ways you can do this, right? Okay. Um, so grounding, a good grounding ritual would actually be, uh, and actually I like, so all of these quote unquote hacks, if you will, or whatever you want to call them, they can be quite overwhelming. And in fact, I was recently uh, speaking with a good friend of mine who talked about his morning routine at a conference. His morning routine takes something like four or five hours. Okay. And it's just obnoxious, right? Like mm. that stresses me out to think about. Like he's doing all of these things over the course of four or five hours, and you print it out on a page, just like two pages worth of information. Um, but most of us don't have that time. Like his entire life is revolving around this. So I get it, it works for him. But for us, what do we do? Well, we can stack these things together and we can do the ones that work best for us. So grounding. It's very, very useful just to kind of root yourself, right? It also feels fucking good, right? So, sorry, I don't know if I can curse here or not. No, it's um, fine. <laughs> uh, so it feels good. And, you know, you have, um, you put your feet on the ground, but you can also look at the sun during that time too. You can meditate during that time. You can listen to an audiobook during that time. Uh, you can have a glass of water in the morning. And so like those kind of little things you can stack together and they're quite useful. Speaking of like small things that you can stack together, uh, it's a lot of information for someone who's not in that space. Like, okay, for me, I am interested in this. For like someone who has a nine to five, has a family, has responsibilities, is busy doing that. I'm not looking for like, okay, quick fixes, but few tweaks that they can do to just help. Like, okay, your, your breakfast should be like this. Maybe, you know, this is when you should go to sleep. Uh, maybe if you're snacking, quit snacking. What will be those things that can make a huge difference? You know, that 80-20 principle, that 80% uh, of the uh, results can be, uh, you can get those 80% results with this 20% tweaks. Sure. I don't know if you believe in that concept, but then would that, what would, those things, what would be those things that you would do to change your life drastically with, yeah. So I'm going to rank this from kind of, uh, look, if you have the means, hiring a coach is the best way to do this. However, let's assume that that is not of possibility. 80-20. Um, and I believe in Pareto through and through. So the 80-20, uh, linking yourself to the sun. The sun is our probably foremost Zeitgeber, meaning it has a cue towards our circadian rhythm. So going out, seeing the sun in the morning, in the evening, probably the number one thing you can do for your overall health. Um, hydration, making sure you get enough water. That's certainly uh, incredibly useful. And so hydration, maybe with a little salt first thing in the morning, if you um, are so inclined or if you don't have any blood pressure issues. 
um, then for eating, condensing your feeding window into either an eight or 12 hour eating window. So if I wake at 7 a.m. eating from eight to eight, but not any longer. Condensing that eating window is very, very useful. Even further with that to have certain sub eating windows is even more useful. So having an eating window at 12, three, six will give you a six hour eating window, but you'll have time restricted feeding within there as well. So those are a few little things um, from a movement perspective. You want to hit 7,500 steps a day or at a minimum. Um, you can do those for walks or whatever it is. Um, and then a couple of times a week, you want to hit something harder. So, you know, doing high intensity interval training appears to be very useful for people. Um, doing zone two, which is kind of the flip side of that. Uh, so longer, slower, inter uh, longer, slower training with a heart rate that is in zone two. Um, has benefits to longevity and mitochondrial health, but do what works for you. Um, what I would say is set the bar low first and just achieve that. And as long as you win, you can keep moving the bar higher. Speaking of intermittent fasting and eating windows, uh, there's a lot of science that was there, like let's say a few years ago, where it's like intermittent fasting and like uh, long fast states are very beneficial for your health, longevity in general. But then there's a new uh, sphere that's come out where people are talking about how intermittent fasting and long starvation windows can also uh, mess up your hormones, especially for women. Uh, what is that sweet spot and how does one find their own sweet spot? Yeah, uh, experimentation and working with a professional is the best way to find a sweet spot. Um, for me, the 16 to 18 hour fast tend to work really, really well, or a three day fast. Um, not much longer, uh, anything in between just seems to be quite useless for me, but that will ultimately depend on you. So a lot of the benefits appear to start at, uh, and maybe even end at 12 hours of fasting for certain people. And so for women, that could be potentially useful. Uh, longer fasts, I would refer people, uh, I would refer women to Mindy Pels. Dr. Mindy Pels is probably the person that I would talk to the most when it comes to this, especially when it regarding is regarding hormones. I'm not uh, an endocrinologist and I'm certainly not a female endocrinologist. So uh, I think it's probably best to go with somebody like that. Uh, what can one do if they've like had years of like partying, drinking, really abusing their body? Now I'm just like, okay, now I wake up, I'm, I'm motivated. I want to change my life. What yeah. would be the few things that, okay, these are the things that get me to the finish line and optimize my health along the way. Like you said, sleeping is good. Diet is good. All of these things, but undoing damage, that's a different thing. How? Yeah. So, um, I would encourage people to first start with what the viewpoint is. And I want people to have a longer term view here because uh, if you're going to go down this route and you're going to have a long view of, you know, or you're going to make changes to your life, you want to have a long view in the sense of longevity. Um, so I, in my twenties was quite the partier. I was quite the, um, socialite in some ways. I, I also worked a ton, but you know, I did a lot of damage to my body during that time. And so a lot of what I've been doing over the past six years is repairing that damage. And 
first it starts with the acknowledgement that the damage exists and there's a lot of people out there that just refuse to acknowledge that the damage exists and so start by getting tested um the best thing you can do is find out where you are now hmm. and that way it also kind of puts a lens on the world because you're getting hit like Naya, you know this you're getting hit by ten thousand pieces of information a day and all of them seem to be contradictory but what if we had a filter on that, which is your data, uh, which allows you to know what information is useful to you. And so I would start by getting the data and then you can kind of figure out where your baseline is. But let's say your baseline is um, revolving around alcohol and drinking. And it's uh, like alcohol is actually a hard thing to quit. I know uh, I've done it. And so start with competitions. So, you know, 30 days of sobriety, dry, dry October or October and dry January, those kind of things. Um, and just see how you feel. And remember that success is addictive. That's how I started was doing these, you know, simple challenges. Then I started to switch my drinks from drinking anything to drinking red wine and gin and tonics on occasion. Right. Um, then I started to then go from 30 days to 60 days, or even I did 180 days once. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go, then from there, you feel really, really good. You start to sleep better. Um, the same is true with caffeine, by the way. You can kick that in the same pattern. Then you start to find substitutes for alcohol. So right now, there's a really large non-alcoholic beer market. There's also um, you know, things like kombucha. Fizzy drinks generally work well. I would avoid sugary fizzy drinks, but it's your choice. Um, and then eventually, you get to a state where you realize that you don't need it anymore. And you don't need it to be social. You can have conversations with people and not be drunk. And so those are, and your body's repairing itself, right? And so when you've gone through a series of partying, going six months without drinking is probably a good idea because your liver needs a break. And so, you know, taking those kind of positions is is quite useful. Um, For women, like if you're having a baby, there's your break right there, right? Um, If you're, um, if, you know, you're a man and your wife is having a baby or, you know, partner is having a baby, maybe that's an excuse for a break as well. So you can use life events to cater to these breaks. Uh, you mentioned sugar um, right now. I've heard, and I might be completely off, you're the expert, you might be able to correct me, that the way your body uh, absorbs and uses sugar has the same effect as alcohol. And it's bad for your system. We're giving kids candy all the time. I mean, is this, is it actually, is there some truth to it or am I just? Uh... Um, I think there is some truth to it in the sense that maybe a kid is getting too much candy or a, an adult is having too much Coca-Cola. Um, and there are certain substances that are designed to make you crave more and you can get on that sugar roller coaster. But is sugar by itself inherently bad for you? Not necessarily. It's just when people get on that roller coaster or if they have too much, um, that it does become an issue. Or if you're predisposed to diabetes or something like this. But in the case of sugar, it's just um, if you're able to limit yourself, which a lot of people aren't, and if you're able to, you know, if weight is the, the issue, looking at calories in, calories out, um, if you're able to maintain those calories, then you're okay. But a lot of people have issues kind of constraining themselves. And that's a different conversation um, that involves hormones, behavior, et cetera. So it's just, um, 
there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Where can people find you um, on your website? Where are, can the, where are the resources that you have? Sure. So um, for transcriptions, it's transcriptions.com. For the nonprofit, homehope.org. And then my own personal website podcast is Decoding Superhuman. And there really what I'm looking at is decoding um, what it's like to live a high performance life. And to live one and remain in a state of dynamic equanimity at all times. So um, you can find that again at decodingsuperhuman.com. Are you working on anything uh, recently that we should watch out for? I'm always working on something. Um, and so I would say, you know, early next year and at the time of this recording is 2022, but 2023, we'll come out with a couple of products and um, transcriptions. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, one of which can be sold worldwide as of now. Okay. And so we'll be looking at that. Um, and then, uh, you know, a few different things actually um, in the psychedelic space for mental health. And so that's something that we can talk about certainly when that becomes more live as well. You're perfect. Thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to me. Thank you, Naya. I really appreciate you having me.